Your enemy, and who's your enemy? The devil. Your enemy, the devil. And now, the Greek word that we get a devil from right there is diabolos. And the Hebrew word uh, used in the Old Testament that would be used uh, in the thing referred to Satan. So your enemy, the devil, does what? Prowls around like a what? Roar, roaring lion. Not just like a lion. I want you to understand it's a roaring lion. Looking for someone to what? Devour. What does devour mean? To totally destroy. Jesus told us that, that Satan is here to only to kill, to steal, and destroy. Only here. That's his only purpose. It's to steal, to kill, and destroy. Okay? It's, but it says the devil prowls around your enemy. Your child of God, raise your hand. You have an enemy. If you're not a child of God, you still have an enemy. Because he does not want you to become a child of God. Notice what it says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You know what's important about that right there, that thing, a roaring lion? Do you know a lion isn't that fast? But yet it could catch a deer that runs twice as fast as him. How can he do that? By himself, and I'm not talking about when they hunt in packs, because they do hunt in packs. But by himself, you know how he does? He sneaks up on them, they're unalert, they're unaware, and when he roars, the sound strikes fear in them, and they freeze. They have the ability in them to run away and escape, but the fear of what they hear freezes them. Fear is paralyzing. Listen, you, you see how I walk here all, all day, right near this edge? Think about this. If this edge was a thousand feet up in the air, you think, there's no way I'd come close to this. I'd be stumbling ten feet back. Is gravity stronger a thousand feet up in the air than here? No. But fear seizes me. And the ability I have to purpose, look, I got half my feet hanging off. But fear cripples you, and what you're perfectly capable of, everything that's in me, perfectly capable of balancing right here with my feet off. Listen, if I was as high as those speakers right now, I'd be and falling over. Fear cripples you. That's why he's a roaring lion. He shouts things in your life. He brings things in your life to strike fear that you become paralyzed and you become incapable of living a life that you are perfectly equipped to live. He says, be self-controlled and alert. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. Verse 9 says, resist him. Standing firm in the faith, resist him, refuse, Re resist means to refuse, to withstand or, or to stand firm, resist him, standing firm, and he says what? In the faith, standing firm in the faith, which is remembering what God's word says, that proclamation we just talked about, remember 
I've used this scripture many a times, and it's just in the last few weeks that it just, again, became so alive. I mean, where Romans, uh, it's not in the computer, Nathaniel. Uh, I don't want him looking while I'm, I'm saying this. But Romans says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, he is talking about behavior. Don't act like you used to act and do these things. But he says the way you do it is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you start thinking about that. In other words, what he's telling you is you used to believe the lie of the enemy, conforming to the pattern of this world. You used to think that there may be another way to God. You used to think that this world would satisfy you. You used to think that everything this way, he says, but don't think that way no more. Don't believe the lie of the devil anymore. Begin believe, renewing of your mind is that I'm not going to believe the devil's lie, but I'm going to believe God's truth. See, the lion's roar is the devil's lie. The lion's roar is, I got you and you can't get away, and they freeze. But yet you have the ability to run 45 miles an hour. Don't believe the enemy's lie. Resist him. Okay? Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. It's not specific just to you. It's every believer. We're, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. <coughs> Excuse me. So look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through, through 11. We're going to begin talking about <coughs> the battle. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Circle that, those two words, be strong. And then in the Lord and in his mighty power. I want you to understand, you are no match for the devil. You hear me? You are a mortal being. You are no match for the devil by yourself. He is a supernatural being. But he, God doesn't say, fight him alone. He says, Stand, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's how we can. And then it goes on to say this. Put on the full armor of God. Circle full armor. In other words, be prepared for battle. And when Paul's writing this, you have to understand he's in a Roman prison with a Roman guard, and that's what he equates this to, uh, the dress of that Roman soldier. He says, put on the full armor of God. In other words, be prepared for battle so that you can take, a, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. His, in other words, his tricks and his strategies. The Bible says that the devil was more crafty than all the other creations. He's a slick willy. You think you got him figured out, but he's got you figured out. He knows what to do. He knows how to tempt. He knows where your weakness is. You know, he, he won't tempt you and won't come against you in your strong points. He knows where you're weak. He knows your weaknesses, and that's where he's going to attack you in. Again, it's a defensive mode. And when I'm going to be talking about this today, and when we're going to talk about the armor of God, and we won't spend much time on that, um, 
again, it, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and actually this week we're starting Ephesians chapter 5. So in a couple of weeks, we will be going through in detail more about the armor of God. I'll, I'll mention a little bit here today, but if you need more of that, you come on out on those nights and, and do that. But I want you to understand that when he's talking about going to battle, it's very thing in the armor of God, when you're going to see there's really only one offensive weapon, which is the sword. Everything else is to protect you, to stop an onslaught. And I was thinking this morning, you know, how much that is like a football team. Okay? The armor of God that he says to put on is like an offensive line in football. We're trying to gain ground, but how many of you know the enemy comes and all that armor is is like your offensive lineman. They, that armor stops the enemy from penetrating to where you're at so your quarterback could advance the ball, so you're running back to run through a hole, and we could gain ground. He's saying stand firm because the enemy wants to take from you. He wants you to lose ground. He wants you to go backwards. Guess what? When you think you're standing firm in that scheme, here he comes with a, with a cornerback blitz. You got to be aware of those schemes. You got to watch what he's doing. He's always trying to do stunts on the line, trying to get through to penetrate your armor that is protecting you so you can advance the kingdom of God. I'm not going to tell you what team their referees are on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's erase that. <laughs> he says, put on the full armor of God. Why would he tell you put on the full armor of God? Sometimes we don't have on everything. That, that is a weak point, a weak spot in your armor where he can attack. So let, let's, let's, let's get into this. Letter A. I want you to understand that that word, be strong, we're going to look uh, at a few things here. The, the phrase, be strong, as used in the Old Testament, is a term used in the context of warfare. Okay, is it used in the context of warfare? And this is what scripture we're going to use here is from uh, Joshua, when, when God was taking Joshua and all across to the promised land. Now, let me stop here for a second. Why is Joshua gone and not Moses? Moses led the people out of Egypt. God promised it to them, the promised land. But guess what? Every time they, when God was going to take them into the promised land, they sent 12 spies. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report. Everyone else heard, Roar! that was a sick line. But, <laughs> but they seen the enemy and heard the roar of the line and became fearful and refused to go where God was going to give them. God had said, I will deliver them into your hands. But the roar, what they seen before them scared them and they never entered the promised land. And so here God's going to bring Joshua and all there. And notice again, we're talking about that phrase, be strong. It's, it's deals with warfare. Joshua 1, 6 through 11 says, be strong. The Lord's speaking to Joshua, be strong, circle that, and courageous. Not only being strong, but be, why do you need courage? Because you're going to face something that's going to scare you. You're going to face something that's going to intimidate you, so you need to have courage. 
You don't need courage if, if you know they're going to walk into the promised land and everybody's got to sign you. Come on in, welcome. See, it wasn't like that. He says, be, be strong, be courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land. And notice what he says, I swore to their forefathers. It was for their forefathers to go. It was for their forefathers to inherit. But they heard the roar of the lion when they seen the enemies. They said, well, we can't do this. Only Joshua and Caleb said, surely we can, for the Lord is with us. Number seven, uh, verse 7 again, he says it again. Be strong and very courageous. What he's preparing them for is the battle you're going to see, the, the, the roaring lines you're going to face. He says you're going to have to be very courageous and be very strong. He says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and do not uh, turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And he says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. You see, he's, tell, he's letting them know you're going to face some things that will seem terrifying. You're going to face some things that you're going to need courage to come over. And he says, uh, do not be terrified or do not be discouraged. Discouraged means I'm about to give up. It's going to be too much. I, I'm about to throw up and uh, throw my hands up and, and quit. He says, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now notice what he, uh, verse 10 goes on to say. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now we will cross the Jordan and go and do what? take possession. He doesn't say it will be handed over to us. He's using that word take, meaning there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight. He says, we're going to go take the possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you for your own. How many of you know the devil wants to steal your stuff, but you got to take it back? Then we'll jump down later on in this in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Again, the battle theme, he says, when they had, when they had brought these kings, they had defeated them, uh, thing, he says, he brought these kings to Joshua, five of them. He summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army and commanders who had come with him, he says, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. We got to put the devil back under our feet. He's under our feet. But you cannot be scared of him in the, God, in the power of God and his might, not on your own. He says this, uh, Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong again and courageous. This is what the Lord your God will do to the enemies you are going to fight. So Joshua struck the ki and, and killed the kings and hung them on five trees, and they were left hanging on the trees till evening. Be strong. There's a battle, but the Lord goes before you. Letter B. Be strong. How? In the Lord. 
So we just talked about being strong, how it, and it translates from the Old Testament about for battles. Be strong in the Lord. This is what I want you to know. In the Lord, you are fighting from a position of victory. The battle's already, we fight battles, but the war has already been won. Okay? But you're fighting from the position of victory. You are not defeated. Okay? Notice what it says in these things. Jesus says in John uh, 16, 33, I have told you these things, and what he's had explained to him about that he was going to be crucified, all these things. In other words, um, you're going to need some courage here in a little while, guys. You're going to need to be strong because uh, they're going to arrest me, they're going to crucify me and hang me, uh, hang me on a cross. And he says, I have told you these things, but so that how? In me, in the Lord, you may have peace. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In him, because he has already overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4 says this, You dear children are from God, okay, born again, and it says this, and, and have, come, have overcome them. Oh, I need a sip of water on that. You dear children are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Jesus says, I have overcome the world, and his spirit lives in you, so guess what? You're fighting from a position of victory. Jesus has over, already overcome the one in the world. <coughs> now let's get back to Ephesians chapter, well, we'll go back a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, he tells us this. Again, about uh, fighting from a position of victory. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what's that next word? Made us. It does not say will make us. You hear me? He says it's already been done. Made us, not will make us. He says made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And verse 6 says... And God will raise? Now, this will blow your mind. We can't, kind of, we can't completely grasp this in our little pea brains. I need you to understand that. It says, and God raised, already passed in, if you're a believer, raised us up with Christ and seated us, not will seat us, has seated us with him, where? In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You're already fighting from the place of victory. You're already seated with Christ. And this is where it takes us to letter C. It's a spiritual battle we fight. It's a spiritual battle we fight. But guess what? We're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the where? 
heavenly realm. We're already seated in the heavenly realm. L listen to me. Our struggles is not against flesh and blood. The enemy uses flesh and blood. Right? Peter told Jesus, oh no, you're, I'm not going to let them take you. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Peter was a believer. But the enemy sends fiery darts sometimes out of believers' mouths at you to cause you to stumble. You see, Peter didn't quite grasp what God's will is. Peter was loving and protective of Jesus and was saying, I'm not going to let any harm come to you. Isn't that a good thing? You know, don't, don't jump on Peter for that. We would have done the same thing if our friend's going through something. Don't we go pray for them? Don't we help support them? And here's his friend. He's saying, I'm not going to let any harm come to you. But guess what? Peter did, know, did not understand the will of the Father yet that Jesus had to die on the cross to bring freedom to everyone. So he was missing it. And that's why Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're firing a dart at me that... Oh. You see... People are fruit, or like fruit on trees. If you got an orange tree in your yard, and you want to, you're saying, I'm tired of having oranges, right? You're tired of being attacked? You're tired of negative fruit coming up in your life? Guess what? If I go out to my orange tree and just, and I do this every year, I pick all them oranges, but guess what? Next year, there comes those same old oranges. See, my battle is not against the fruit, but it is against the root. If I want to stop having the oranges, I have to attack the root, not the fruit. See, Satan uses, yeah, I, I know you called somebody a fruit already in their life. You didn't realize you, that's what you were doing, right? <laughs> you have to realize it's not the person where the real attack is coming to. Coming from. There is a battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but authorities against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Let me tell you something. There's a spiritual fight for the souls of men. There's a spiritual fight for this Bailafush. Why do you think drugs are so rampant in here? That's one of the ways the enemy is using to destroy people's lives. There's a spiritual battle for states, for nations. There's a battle. That's going on in the heavens. We have to understand those things. So what do we do? Again, the devil comes to do only to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, when you think about maybe ideas we used to have as kids and things, and, oh, everything was going to be a big party. And the devil actually has people convinced that, you know what? You won't go to heaven, but at least you could come party with me in hell. You know what I'm talking about? You see people make comments like that, that, oh, I'm just going to... No. Satan himself will be punished, be, be cast into the lake of fire, where there will be burning and gashing of teeth. He Don't believe that lie anymore. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. So our spiritual dress... <coughs> Again, Paul is looking at a Roman soldier, so he's 
begins to uh, look at that and, and has us for spiritual battle. Again, he talks about six pieces. And again, within a couple of weeks, a month or so on Wednesday nights, we're going to be going through this in very much detail. Uh, that's not what I'm here to do today, is just to make you aware. He says, therefore, put on the full armor, all six pieces. Have all six pieces, because if you leave one out, you're vulnerable for attack right there. It's like a football player getting dressed and going out without a helmet. You're going to end up getting hurt. He could put the helmet on, but if he forgets the shoulder pads, guess what? You're going to be getting hurt because you left an area open of vulnerability in your life. Spiritual dress. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Notice it doesn't say if the day of evil comes. I need you to think about that. He doesn't say if a day of evil comes. He's telling you it's coming. When the day of evil comes. And it's going to be more than one day. You're going to, I always say you're either coming out of a problem <laughs> or getting ready to go into one. Because the enemy never stops fighting you. He says when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. Now remember what I was talking about, the offensive line? The enemy's trying, trying to take ground from you. He's trying to sack our quarterback so we give up five yards. He's saying that you'll be able to stand. It's a defensive way thing, and that's what offensive linemen do. They're, they stand there to stop the enemy from coming in where you could work your life to gain momentum in the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. He says, after you have done everything to stand, again, stand firm then with the belt of truth, number one, the belt of truth. I don't know if I, did I leave it underlined on your papers? Okay. Yeah, I can't remember from yesterday what I did. <laughs> with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, again, we'll go through more of this on, on those Wednesday nights. The belt Gave, gives support to the body. It gives stability to the body. The belt strengthens the core. How many remember uh, those lifting belts they had came in out with? You know, that you'd put, it supports your back. It helps, it, it helps strengthen the core. So the belt of truth uh, strengthens the core. It, it held the weapons. All the weapons were, were on that. And that, that belt represents integrity. Again, we'll, we'll go through this more on the Wednesday night. It represents integrity, knowing and doing the truth, the belt of truth. It's not enough to know the truth. The Bible says, don't, do not deceive yourselves by just knowing the truth, but do what it says. The belt of truth is knowing the truth and doing the truth. Then he goes on to say, um, with that buckled around your waist, and he says the second thing is with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay, the breastplate of righteousness, and it protects your heart. It goes over your chest. That means the purity of heart. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Keeping our heart pure, our motives pure. Again, we'll go over this more on the Wednesday night. Verse 15 and with your feet 
uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So the gospel is peace, but notice where it says, where do it, it goes? On your feet. So wherever you go, the gospel of peace needs to go with you. You hear me? The gospel of peace needs to go with you. It deals with, the, the, that deals with, gospel of peace deals with relationships. Making peace with God our Father. Making peace with ourselves and making peace with others. Love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if I don't have, if I don't have peace with, that, with God, I can forget about everything else. Verse 16, in addition to these, in addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith. This is a weapon. This, this part of, um, of our battle gear is, I think, one of the, most, the one that most people don't pick up. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Notice how it says that. You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. What's a flaming arrow? It's when he's taking a shot at you. Think about that. When a word comes, when somebody, let me, let me quickly say, read this. He says, uh, flaming arrows are mental. Okay? Faith is trusting God even when my world seems to be falling apart. The, Satan shoots arrows of doubt, arrows of discouragement, arrows of delay, ar arrows of difficulty, arrows of depression, wanting you to give up. It's a fiery arrow that comes out of maybe a believer's mouth. That's, that's Peter told Jesus. But it's to, to harm you. And he says, you need to take your shield out so you can extinguish all those arrows. If you don't, you could have on everything else, but if you don't pick up your shield, you're probably going to get stuck. Verse 17 says, take up the helmet of salvation. That goes over your head to protect your mind. Having a peace of mind. See, God did not give us the spirit of fear that freezes us but he gave us a spirit of a sound mind. That those arrows can't penetrate. Guess what? A head wound is a deadly wound. A head wound is a fatal wound. Then it goes on to say, uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, and when you look at this, this is only the only thing that isn't for just protection. All those other things is that offensive line protecting you from the attacks of the enemy. But now we get with the sword of the spirit is the wide receivers, the quarterback, and the running back. Well, we fight the devil and t take ground from him. The word of God. Speak that proclamation we just said. That is speaking the word of God no matter what my circumstances are. So we need to speak over our lives. In other words, prophesying over, over our lives. Remember when, when, when God told the prophets, speak over these dry bones. Speak life, come alive. 
We need to speak into our marriages, our children's lives, everything that God, Satan, you cannot have them. The, the Word of God protects them. Ugh. Satan, you're not going to take my marriage, my children, my health, my finances, my peace, my joy. Speak to those things and tell them to come alive. Speak God's word. Then a lot of times people stop there. But verse 18, the very next verse, is prayer. And notice what he tells them. Again, this is part of the battle. And when, and pray how? In the spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Aliska, if you want to just start making your way to the front here. And pray how? In the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And he says this, with this in mind, again, he says, be alert and always keep praying, keep on praying for all the saints. We are supposed to pray for each other. Again, key number one was prayer, faithfulness to prayer. And number three was unity in the body. That we pray and lift up. And, and even the ne very next verse, he tells them, and also pray for me. We are to lift up. But he says, pray in the Spirit. Now, if you don't pray in the Spirit, we want to agree with you at the end of this service. Anoint you with all. That you will receive the Holy Spirit. Because he's telling us here to pray in the Spirit, a prayer language in the Spirit. And I'm going to explain a few things to you right here. Notice what 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14, 14 through 15 says. It's Paul speaking. He says, if I pray in a tongue as that, through the Holy Spirit, he says, what, who, what prays? My spirit. But my mind is unfruitful. In other words, he's saying, when I'm praying in the Spirit, oh, shoot, my mind does not understand what I'm praying for. Okay? But notice what he goes on to say. So what shall I do? And he tells you this. I will pray. This is Paul speaking. I will pray with my spirit. Again, Ephesians 18 says we need to pray in the spirit. I, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing and worship with my spirit. But I also sing and worship with my mind. Now, let's go back to verse 18. He says, pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests on all occasions. He's telling you to pray in the Spirit and pray in the natural. Both are important. And we, we all know that we all know how to pray in the, in, the, in the natural, but God wants His Holy Spirit to pray through you. And here's the key why. Look, Romans 8, 26 through 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Notice this. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Peter was probably praying, protect Jesus. Don't let them take him. When he says, I, I will never let them take you, do you realize he was actually going against the will of God? He thought he was doing the right thing. In his heart of hearts, with his understanding, 
was. But the Bible tells us that His ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. So I need to understand that sometimes the very thing I'm praying for is the very thing God's trying to take out of my life. The very circumstance I'm in that I'm praying for God to stop is the very circumstance God is trying to use to change you. Trying to put something in you or take something out of you. So it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Okay, go to the next verse. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes, prays for us. We pray through the Spirit for the saints in accordance with God's will. Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will. This isn't on your paper, but I added it later this morning. If you then, and this is, I don't want you to be scared. I know sometimes people who are new to Christianity don't quite understand the spirit thing and stuff. It, Jesus told them this, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask. Don't be scared of the Spirit. You need the Spirit. I just want to share from my personal experience. When I first got saved, it took probably over two years before I spoke in tongues and prayed in tongues. You want me to tell you, it wasn't that God wasn't answering my prayer. Scott was in the way. Y'all remember Brother Liner, precious man. We'd come to prayer meetings, and he prayed with me and prayed with me. He took me in the back room over there and praying that I'd receive the Spirit. But I was so in the flesh that I'd say, God, I want this, but I'm not opening my mouth. I'm not moving my mouth. You're going to have to do it. How many of you know God never forces anything on you? God does not take possession of your body and control your body. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You have to open it. So until I learn that, you know what? He uses your vocal cords. He uses your breath, but it's the Spirit's words. That I have to, if I never let breath come through those vocal cords, it'll never come out. Till finally one day, as you pray in the Spirit, God's will is done in your life. Now, when we pray for you today, I'm going to ask Brother Jaron, Sister Matilda, come on up. Sister Jeanette, would you like to pray with people too? We're just going to anoint you with all. We're not saying a big prayer. We're just agreeing with you that what you're asking of the Father, He shall give to you. That you could pray through the Spirit. Again, He's not going to force it. All you have to do is start letting the air come through your vocal cords. It will rise up in you and begin praying. It may not happen here today. 
Listen, it took two years before I finally, because I wanted to make sure. No, I don't want it to be me. I don't want it to be me. I want to make sure it's you. I want to make sure it's you. And I was hindering him from moving. So as the scripture says, part of warfare is praying in the spirit. We pray in the natural, but we also need to pray in the spirit. Because the spirit knows the warfare. The spirit knows exactly what's going on. The spirit knows the prayer you should be praying. The Spirit is in perfect union with God's will for your life and situation. Jerry and Matilda, Sister Jeanette, if you come up. Again, we're just going to anoint you with all. You come on up out of your seats as we begin to worship. But remember, it's you to allow God to use you, to flow through you. So if you want to begin to pray right now. Those of you that have received the Holy Spirit, I want you just to stand right now and intercede for those. You hear me? Intercede for those. Begin praying in the Spirit. There's nothing to be scared of, people. Those of you that, that I know some of you in here may not understand. Just come on up. If you want to receive the gift from God, God will not give you a bad gift. 